Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... I think it's fair to say that the more of a consumer someone is, the more that they think that the world owes them something, or you think the world is all about you, the more discontent you're going to be. Because the way God made us is to be people who are both givers and receivers, not just someone who's taking and taking and taking. So the Bible comes along and tells us something remarkable, that true contentment actually can't be bought. And it's only found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you ask people what they want most of all, many answers come down to one word, contentment. Today, Pastor Jim will explain that true contentment is only found in a certain relationship. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of Philippians chapter 4 with his message entitled, Joyful Contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, the apostle writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then one of the most popular verses in the New Testament, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, these days there's a lot of people that are making a lot of money selling a product that they don't have. You know what that product is? Contentment. Selling contentment, even though they don't have to have it to sell it. Well, how do they sell contentment? They do it by marketing discontentment. They do it by telling you all the things that you don't have, that you must have, that you have to need, or you have to get this, or all the things in life that you're unsatisfied with. An interesting thing about these people who are selling a product they don't have is very few people ask for their money back. And I think the reason for that is because discontentment is so epidemic in our society, it's become a way of life. Although one could argue that we're born discontent and it comes natural to us, And the more discontent we are, it seems like the more we're out there trying to find things to make us content that we're too busy to ask for our money back for the things that didn't deliver it. I think it's fair to say that the more of a consumer someone is, the more that they think that the world owes them something or you think the world is all about you, the more discontent you're going to be. Because the way God made us is to be people who are both givers and receivers, not just someone who's taking and taking and taking. So the Bible comes along and tells us something remarkable, that true contentment actually can't be bought. And it's only found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, I realize that might be quite a claim. But if you are a Christian, you might want to say, well, duh, I knew that. That's no big revelation that true contentment is only found in Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you the surprising part. The surprising part is it has to be learned. Just by merely becoming a Christian, by trusting in Jesus, you don't get contentment. You actually have to learn it and you have to apply it to experience it. 
So here in the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul is in jail. He's awaiting sentencing for preaching the gospel. He's writing a letter. Basically, it is a thank you note for a money gift that has been brought to him from the Philippian church, a church that he founded in northern Greece some 10 years ago, being brought hundreds of miles by a gentleman by the name of Epaphroditus. If you recall back in chapter two, Epaphroditus got so sick in the journey that he almost died, and now he's gonna go back, he's gonna return this letter, and so the apostle Paul is, if you will, he's landing the plane. He's beginning to close out the letter with some thoughts for this church, and today he's going to talk to us about, and it's the title of the message, Joyful Contentment, Joyful Contentment. For those of you taking notes, three aspects of this contentment we want to look at this morning, and the first is the power of care. Do you know that there's great power in caring for people? Did you know that there's great power in being cared for? And so here he says, verse 10, he says, but I rejoiced in the Lord. Now that word rejoice or joy has been throughout this letter and you say it's kind of odd that a gentleman that is in jail would find any reason to rejoice when he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's not assuming there's gonna be a mistrial. He's not thinking he's gonna sue Caesar and then walk away with billions of dollars. That's not the way it worked back then. No, he's rejoicing. But how is he rejoicing in the Lord? Is he rejoicing that he's in jail? Well, part of it we saw, he's happy because people are hearing the gospel. Is he rejoicing that he might get his head cut off? Well, that wouldn't make all that much sense, would it? Okay, he's rejoicing in the Lord. And he says greatly that now at last, now this has sparked a lot of controversy, this wording, because to some people it sounds like, well, at last, finally, you, you sent me a gift. I mean, it's been a long time. I founded your church. Where's the gratitude? Is this what I get for being you know, the apostle to you people? You finally send me some cheapo gift. You know, that's the way it is. Somebody doesn't give you anything. Then finally they give you something and you're like complaining about it. Like, this, this is not generosity. You know, it's like, you're like, I'm not an extra small. What are you doing? Or, you know, or, or re-gifting. I know none of you would ever re-gift, right? You look like you would, okay? So it's not any of this here. We're just gonna see in a moment that's not what he's talking about here and we'll see next week absolutely it's impossible that that's what he's taking. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care has flourished again. Some of your versions say that you renewed your concern for me. It literally means that your care has blossomed again. So picture, so a plant in the winter season is going to be this dry, leafless kind of thing. Picture that it is the springtime and it is blossoming and blooming again. And so here he says, okay, that your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care. The idea is a lot of times we read the Bible, we read it only in present tense. Often it is in a continuous sense. And so the idea is that you all, I know you always and you continually cared about me. And then he says, but you lacked opportunity. So now you have the opportunity. So he says, I know you've always cared, but now I'm glad you have an opportunity to express your care. And opportunities abound for us, don't they, to express our care. We have to keep our eyes open. We have to stop thinking that it might not be us. Some, a lot of times people come to me and they say, oh, you know, Pastor Jim, I met this person. They want somebody to talk to them about Jesus. And here you go. Would you call them? I'm like, why? God gave them to you. If God gave them to me, he introduced them to me. And so you can do it. Let's work through this together. And so, you know, that's how you get started in doing that. You start telling someone and then you tell other people and you other people, but you have to have your eyes open. Those of you in the business world, you know this. People who have their eyes open for opportunity to help people do well. 
They just do. They're able to discover products, companies, get promotions and jobs, able to help their clients if their eyes are open to the opportunities to help people. And heaven promises to reward Christians who take the opportunities to help others. And I love the illustration. Like a barren plant in winter, now it's spring. Now it is time for your care to blossom. So maybe you've been here for a number of years. You're a Christian. You think, you know what? I just haven't done anything and now it's too late. God says, no, it's not. No, this is a perfect opportunity for you now. The winter is over. You see an opportunity. You want to get involved. You want to try to blossom where you are and God wants to do that for you. Now, some people have said, Bible critics, if you will, some Bible scholars who sometimes I tend to argue with in the quietness of my own study, and they like to accuse the Apostle Paul of putting people on a guilt trip when it comes to money. That is an excellent interpretation as long as you ignore the rest of the Bible. So this guy's not about it at all. First Corinthians, he told us, we studied it a couple of years ago, he said, you know, I think that people who work in the ministry should be paid. He said, I think that you shouldn't be cheap. Some people go, well, we'll keep the pastor humble by paying him very little. No, that's not a good idea, okay? I'm not bucking for a raise if you're here thinking like, oh, he's bucking for a raise. I'm not, you could double my salary if you want. Most of you know I don't get paid by choice because I'm following the model of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul fought for the salaries of pastors and then said at the end, but I don't want the money. I have a tent-making business and I'm happy to just support myself, so I have a business and very happy with it, don't regret it for a second, love doing it. But he would say that we should support others, but now he's in jail. So he had a tent-making business, but he didn't have a staff and a factory and all that that could keep mailing him checks. He had to do his own work, so now he needs help from other people because the Romans, if you were in jail, you had to support yourself while you were in jail, not like it is today. You had to support yourself, so he needed donations from others. The reality is, when it comes to money and generosity and care, the word of God holds up care and generosity as a sign of salvation. Why? Well, because Jesus cares. Why? Because Jesus is generous. And for those of us who want to be like Jesus, we will emulate Jesus, do the things that he does. Always marvels to me when I watch television. When I go on vacation, I read worldview books. You're like, that does not sound relaxing. For me, it is. I don't know why. I'm weird. I understand that. But it strikes me as odd that we live in a world that is constantly saying we have to help people, right? Which I don't disagree with. And then we're teaching our kids in school survival of the fittest. It just seems like this really, it doesn't jive to me. It doesn't work for me. Christians, we are not survival of the fittest people. We're just not. We are people that believe that we have to care for others, that we have to love for others, and that God will stretch all of us out of our comfort zone for that. I know the popular thing today is to say, well, the church should do something about that. And then the Bible comes along and says, well, you are the church if you're part of the church, if you're a Christian. And so God is gonna stretch us in all of that. Second Corinthians chapter eight tells us that the churches of Macedonia, where Philippi was located, were actually poor. And so here he's getting a gift from poor people who didn't stop being generous because they were poor. No, they took a step of faith, realizing that God would provide as they cared about the apostle. And I believe that's why the apostle says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that he was grateful and excited for the work of God in their lives. And so the Lord really uses opportunities for our caring in a powerful way for both the giver 
and the receiver. Let's talk about the receiver first, and I want to qualify it and say, let's talk about the godly receiver. You say, who's the godly receiver? I think the godly receiver is the person who's more aware of the Lord than their own personal need. They realize that the Lord has promised to meet all of their needs, but when they receive something because of their godliness, it reminds them a few things. It reminds them that the Lord sees them. It reminds them that the Lord cares. It reminds them that the Lord has not forgotten them, although it could seem to be that way. My wife has pointed out this to me, and I'm getting better at it, this big flaw in me. She usually says it's something like this. She says to me, honey, I, I want to talk to you about something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, hmm. Uh, fire. <laughs> she said to me one time and has brought it to my attention many times in the, since then. She said, you know, I really love the way you like to help people. I really admire the way you like to give to people. And of course, I'm like, <laughs> you're lucky to have me, woman. Yes, you are. <laughs> and then she says, but you know, you're terrible at receiving help from people. You're terrible at God blessing you through other people. And that's a blind spot for you. You see, the challenge for any of us, the challenge for the Apostle Paul, is when we receive a gift is not to see it as being from the Lord. The challenge for us also is to be grateful and not look like we expect it. I think the challenge also is to think that we should expect more. Those people who are Older, and notice I will never put a number on what's older, learning something in my old age. But one of the things that I hear a lot of is that basic manners seem to be disappearing. Just a basic thank you. Now, culturally, in the United States, that's what we do. There's other parts of the world where it's expressed a little differently. But just to thank people seems to be going. So to receive and to be thankful as to see it as being the Lord's provision. Well, what about the godly giver? Well, if the godly receiver is more aware of the Lord than the need, I think the godly giver is more aware of the Lord than the cost. Sometimes the Lord prompts us to do something and I don't want to be some sort of weird, the Lord told me this and the Lord told me that kind of guy because a lot of people have used that for very wrong purposes over the years. But sometimes the Lord asks us to do something and more often than not, it actually is going to cost us something. And so when we are a godly giver, it gives us the chance to stop being a consumer who's never contented, right? It gives us the opportunity to experience the joy of caring for others and so over the years, I've noticed the power of care as those who give with a pure heart are becoming more like Jesus. But those who've learned to receive also learn to receive God's grace, to receive his forgiveness, to receive from him. Well, number two is the learning of contentment, the learning of contentment. Verse 11, he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. Didn't come naturally. I didn't become a Christian and all of a sudden it was in me. No, he says, I've learned in whatever state I am in, we might say no matter what the circumstances are, to be content. 
would you say you're content? I'm not so sure I know anybody who is. <laughs> content to some extent. Verse 12, I know how to be abased. Basically means I know how to have nothing. I know what it's like to have nothing. Very interesting. Same word that's used in Greek as in Philippians 2 when it says that Jesus humbled himself when he came down from heaven. So he's like, I know how to be humbled in that way. And certainly jail would humble him. He says, I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. He was a up and coming religious star. He was a Pharisee. So his family probably had some money. He also knew what it was like to go to, in Philippian church was founded 10 years ago in Lydia's house, a very wealthy woman. So she had some great potlucks, right? So he knew what it was like to go to those potlucks where they didn't have to worry about not having enough. She made sure the spread was good. So he says, I know what it's like to have little and to have plenty. And they think, well, okay, it would be hard to have little, but it's easy to have plenty. It's actually really not spiritually because, you know, the more you have, the more busy you can be. talk to people in the United States who are Christians and they always claiming they're poor, but they're away every other weekend. That's not poor. That's not poor. See, the more we have, the more opportunity we have to be busy. And you know, the old expression was, if Satan can't keep you bad, he'll keep you busy. And so having a lot can actually make it very hard to stay focused on the things of God. He says, everywhere and in all things, I have learned. Once again, he says, I've learned. It didn't come natural to me. I'm learning this. I have learned. Some of your versions add the secret of being content. I've learned the secret of being content, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So just so no one would think the apostle was upset at the lack of gift. He wasn't like, man, 10 years, what took you so long? Wasn't like, this is all I get? This is my 10-year present? <laughs> no, he says, I'm fine. People might today say, it's all good. I'm content. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you want to be content? Of course you do. We all do. Well, here's, I think, the first step. I think we have to realize that contentment or inner peace is largely independent of outward circumstances. Contentment or inner peace is largely independent of circumstances. I think that's why God allows sometimes his chosen servants, in this case the Apostle Paul, to be falsely accused, falsely put in jail. And he did break the law, but it was a bad law, telling people about Jesus. He goes into jail so he can model for us that it is possible to have contentment on the inside even when it's a hurricane on the outside. Now this is not, you know, oh well, nothing I can do about it. Might as well act like happy Christian. That's not what that is. This is not, well, I'm not gonna bother. What's the point of trying to be happy? This is not a lack of ambition. He still probably trying to get himself out. No, this is exactly the opposite. This is 
him showing us that no matter what life throws at him, the word of God enables him to find the will of God in any situation. In any situation. He is confident that no matter what tomorrow brings, he can find contentment inside inner peace, largely independent of the outward circumstances. Remember we said earlier in Philippians 4 that there's just some things that the world cannot take from us. And this is something he's saying, the world cannot take this from me. I can be content no matter what happens. No one can go inside my heart and inside my soul and take Jesus from me. Can't happen. So I think he has a disciplined concentration. A lot of places in the Bible we could point this out, but keep your finger in Philippians 4. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll pick it up at verse 16. He says, therefore, we, who's we? Christians. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, so much of what goes on in our lives happens at the level of the heart, doesn't it? The, the level of, of who we are. Now, I know it's interesting. If I were writing this, thank God I didn't, I would have said, therefore, we should not lose heart, but he doesn't say that. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart, but he's gonna talk about a discipline that we need to have so we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, I know you young people are like, I never understood that verse. Just wait. <laughs> Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. Now, this is written by a guy who's been shipwrecked, beaten, arrested. Now he's in jail, wanting to get back to that life. Isn't that funny? <laughs> you think he'd be in jail going, I'm finally safe. No, he wants to get back to that life. He says, Our light affliction. What I like about this is not some guy who didn't, never had any problems. This is a guy with a lot of problems, says our light affliction, which is but for a moment. It's but for a moment. Whatever the hurricane is going on right now, the Bible doesn't minimize it, but it does tell you that a million years from now, when you're in heaven with Jesus, it's probably not gonna be big. Probably not gonna be big. You know, I remember that when I was in eighth grade, I asked a girl to the eighth grade dance and she told me she was going with somebody else. Pretty big moment in my life in eighth grade. <laughs> Not now. It was a light affliction, right? Which is but for a moment is working for us. Interesting. Not just working in us, it's working for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we, Christians, do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I was talking with someone recently who told me he was an atheist. I come from the camp of could care less about God. That's where I was before I became a Christian. And so he said he was an atheist and, you know, this is it. This is all there is. And I said, well, so you think you're right? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I think I'm right. So can we discuss why we may or may not be right? And he said, well, 
you only can believe in what you can see. And so I said, well, aren't there a lot of things that you believe in that you never saw? Yes, yes. And so I said, is it possible for a moment that there's an unseen world that you've never seen? Is it just possible? Is it possible? Even a little bit possible? He said, yes, I think it's possible. I said, well, now you're an agnostic. Thank you for listening to Change by Love, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire here at Changed by Love is simply to bring you the life-changing message of Jesus Christ by teaching you the Bible in a simple, easy-to-follow way. With that being said, we try to put our messages into as many people's hands as possible for a very low cost and often free of charge to anyone who contacts us. Did you know that all of our messages can be found for free on our website? Changedbyloveradio.com That's changedbyloveradio.com Please check out our website and hit the Contact Us button to tell us something about yourself or to request a CD copy of a message. Here at Changed by Love, we depend on the grace of God as well as the generosity and prayers of our loyal listeners. So thank you to all of you who are prayerfully and financially supporting our program. We would love to hear from you and pray that you drop us a card or a letter to Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey. And don't forget to contact our friends at this radio station and tell them you are being blessed by Changed by Love. It would be a great encouragement to them. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you'll make plans to join us again next time, right here on this station, for more practical Bible teaching through God's Word with Pastor Jim Kevney, passionately proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that needs to hear.